Good evening, Innsmouth. Hope you won big on last night's Murder Ball Gang. We all need a few more credits jingling around in our pockets. It's more of a, a way of life than a game, you know? You're fighting to, to survive. That was a slaughter fest. Did you win big last night? No, I lost it all. Oh, well. <laughs> like I said, it's <laughs> it's more than a game. And on that note, there seems to be some acid rain in the hive just recently. Gotta watch out for that toxic rain. It burns your skin on contact. Long exposure can leave scars and even possibly death. So you might want to stay out of that. Get yourself a nice uh, anti-acid rain umbrella. Yeah, and with those credits you won last night. If you won credits last night. I Obviously, you're not gonna... I guess I'm getting permanently scarred. In order to get out of the acid rain ourselves, we are taking shelter in the abandoned Davers Ark Asylum once again. At least that's what the sign outside said. We sent Kevin Beast off to find out where the hell we actually are. Uh, hey, Marky, I don't necessarily want to point it out, but does that say down with the modus scrawled in someone's blood over there? You know what? I heard they kept psychers here in the past. Uh, maybe we should... When they get back, let's get out. It's just... Yeah, l- l- you know, we'll pray for them. Or something. Just leave now. And on the note of death, there has been some gangland executions. Warmongers and Arbides button heads a little bit near their weapon factory. There's been seizures all month, and the warmongers are not taking it sitting down. Oh, you know, and the warmongers get a little on the warpath. Yeah, it's hard to stop them. It's like juggernaut. I'm the jugger- jug- I'm the warmonger, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just you just slap them, and then you know they'll sit back down. <laughs> That's, that's what I hear, at least. Uh, <laughs> well, That was Ryan, by the way. Ryan said that. <laughs> With that look around the hive, we are your loaded fangbanger dice in the back alley of life. 665.66 UHMR Camrat Radio. The goose to my maverick is our power sledge aficionado, Marky. What it is, host. And as always, advising you to keep your arms and legs inside the Voxcast for the duration of our cruise. I am your neon nightmare captain, Goblin King. We are getting real close to dipping into what we're calling season two or year two of the podcast. We've survived, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Two of us are little bitches. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that we never necessarily did was we never really came out and stated what Under the Hive of Madness is. So we got a couple of questions in the last probably month or so that led to some discussions and just really quickly wanted to go over what we're about. If you're new, if this is your first episode of the podcast, it'll give you a little bit of a taste of why you should go back and listen to some of our early stuff. And if you've been with us for a while, you probably already know this. It's just a quick refresher. We uh, Or or you might still not understand. Yeah, who knows? You know, my my buddy doesn't understand. You know, he's a little, uh, he's got a, a thick head. So he's like, I don't, I don't, know why do you guys talk about like the weather and shit i'm like look man it's first of all it's a joke and that, that was that was about it that was about it that's about, that was about it that was about it so so Second of all, the- shut the fuck up no. <laughs> under the hive of madness is a lore and creative writing podcast we like to focus on what is in the lore of warhammer 40k and how that can be used as a foundation to look at the creative writing universe inside the same space so essentially what is the lore of warhammer 40k and how can you write your own stuff in the universe of warhammer 40k end of the day though a lot of the stuff that we talk about is the same sort of world building 
steps and creative writing things that are used in development of role-playing sessions. If you're designing a campaign, game worlds, if you're designing a board game, or even just writing speculative fiction, if you're getting into writing fantasy or science fiction, anything that falls into the speculative fiction genre or subgenres, this is the type of stuff that you would really look at and pull apart to get involved or get started down that path. Our podcast name, in fact, is a reference to Under the Hive of madness by hp lovecraft under the mountains of madness what did i, did I say under the hive yeah yeah I totally <laughs> did. I, yeah <laughs> thank you for the correction yeah under that under the mountains of madness by hp lovecraft and Which this i love by the way that was great that was a great play on on lovecraft the whole idea that you had behind it was uh was pretty awesome thank you man we pull a lot of that stuff in you guys will notice those of you who are literarily expansive or have any knowledge of hp lovecraft will notice that that's a fancy way of ryan saying not if Mark. you guys are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm totally just fucking with you, man. If you guys are into HP Lovecraft at all, we kind of sprinkle some stuff into the lore that we're building for the Innsmouth Hive. In fact, if you guys are just into horror in general, we're sprinkling, sprinkling stuff in. The other hive that we've named is the Amityville Hive or the Amity... Amity Hive. Our, our sister hive. Yeah. After Amityville Horror, which is a good horror movie. And we're looking yep. at expanding stuff even more. We're getting, we're kind of getting to a point with Ins Mouth Hive. We're going to talk about it in this episode actually quite a bit, but we're getting to a point where we need to start laying down some extra stuff so you, people can play in Ins Mouth a little bit more. Yeah. It was actually something that I kind of have in the works that I haven't really jumped on yet. Maybe once we get a little bit bigger as a podcast, but there's another podcast that does something similar that, that we do, but for Necromunda instead of 40K. And I was thinking of maybe possibly having their hive join our planet so we can have like multiple sister hives but this other hive is an actual like another podcast or something you know i thought it'd just be, be something cool. cool we can do some uh, collaborations and stuff they cover necromunda we cover 40k and then we're both all on the same planet you know we have fucking gang wars and shit i don't know i just thought yeah. it's something to be cool but again you know just trying to think creatively different stuff yeah and that's a really big thing as this show is based on our love for cooperative storytelling whether it comes from building the hives background lore or working on our own lore and our own kitbash armies. You guys will hear us brainstorm stuff amongst each other in some of our episodes or in designing our crusades or even setting down and building role-playing game settings. We have this personal love for telling these stories together. And if we can expand that with our community and with other communities, it just builds a more enriching and a more engaging setting, which is the beauty at the end of the day of what Warhammer 40k really is to us. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like there's, not to get into the politics of 40k, but I feel like there's so much negativity out in the hobby nowadays that it's nice to actually have something that brings everybody together instead of like everybody, hey, let's all shit on this are, person are you or shit on, shit on this. over rules. <laughs> yeah, well, not just rules, yeah. but there's other things too, where it's just like, you know, just shitting on people. I'm kind of tired of, you know, everybody shit as much shit as I talk. I mean, <laughs> it's okay for me, but, <laughs> but nah, you know, just trying to bring some, uh, some more positivity into, into the hobby and whatnot. I love this hobby and I'm sure a lot of you other guys and, and girls and people love the hobby too. So, you know, we're all just trying to share our, our love for it. Hell yeah. Not, not to get all sappy and shit about it. Personally, I've been writing horror and science fiction since late high school, and I actually studied creative writing and classic literature in college, although I eventually settled on illustration and art history. None of that's going to be new to some of you guys who have been listening to us.
us for a while or who are involved in our community. But those of you who are new or those of you who are wondering why we sprinkle this stuff in, that's my background. While some podcasts out there focus a lot on world building or creative writing in general or on lore very specifically or on the silly meme side of Warhammer or on the meta of Warhammer, we really wanted to focus on the horror and the grim, dark, science, fancy, and existential dread stuff that makes up the Warhammer 40k universe from a creative writing and world building perspective. Because it's such an expansive universe, you can do things like make your own subsector and come up with your own stories and come up with your own elements that back up your armies and the game world is designed to allow that to happen and we're just trying to help you know uh what's the word i'm looking for facilitate exactly if i read more books i would know that word (laughs) (laughs) trying to help it grow Exactly. While our first few episodes focus a lot on trying to explain the entire setting to a new player in 15 minutes, which we've all been there in a store and some new player asks you something and you try to sum up 40 years of lore and content and knowledge into five it's like sentences. like that meme, yeah, with the, the dude that has his arm around the chick and he's just like, <laughs> so... To understand the emperor of mankind, you got to understand the Horus heresy. <laughs> to understand, to understand the Horus heresy, <laughs> you have to understand the impending doom that is chaos. <laughs> to understand chaos, I have to explain the warp. So, you know, strap in, baby, because we're on for a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> so as we've expanded and researched and talked over different topics, had our production meetings, recorded episodes, and really kind of found our voice, it was actually Marky who came up with the idea of leaning into the main concept of what a podcast actually is. At its core, a podcast is a radio show. And a lot of the slice of life lore that you get in video games that have recordings that are left behind, games like Days Gone, Doom, or even the the little pages and stuff that you can find in games like Dark Souls, or the radio and TV shows that make up some of the backdrops and backgrounds in a lot of open world games like Grand Theft Auto or Cyberpunk 2077, he had this idea that we would open each show as in-universe characters who live in an underhive. This is a sprawling undercity located deep below the ice crusts on some icy ball of hell in a backwatered corner of the Imperium that the Administrata may have even forgotten about or, well until we're not sending tithes, right? And then they remember us. <laughs> you got to give to get, you know. <laughs> right. But a lot like the living lore of like Greyhawk in Dungeons and Dragons or the side notes and one-liners that you can actually find in the sidebars of the codexes and the main rule books for Warhammer 40k, a lot of what we do is we're trying to give that flavor or that slice of life for gangers and denizens who are living in a dystopian cyberpunk existence that really is the maximization of low-life, high-technology. And it's in this region that's this forgotten megacity that may or may not actually exist under the thumb of Imperial authority. As long as the manufactorums keep pumping out the war materials for an ever-failing fascist machine of conquest that is the Imperium, they leave us alone. And that's just sort of that characterization that we bring into the show. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought it was uh, not so much an original idea. You know, I I figure, obviously... You know, like I said, I'm a little bit of a biter. If you uh, if you listen to our Patreon before then, I explain it a little more in depth. 
I mean, then again, no thought or almost no thought nowadays is an original thought because almost everything's been done. Yeah, they're, nothing's they're, a, everything's a remix, essentially. Exactly. It, it also makes it a little more fun for us. It, it kind of uh, sets the tone for the podcast. I enjoy it. I, I think Ryan enjoys it because he gets it gets to tickle his creative writing, you know, fancy, which I, I think he likes. I think you like it, Ryan. I'm not, I do. I may be it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, and it, it's built into our community as people have joined, you know, people hear it and they like it and they give ideas and we come up with stuff together. We've got a couple of members in our Discord community who are incredibly active with coming up with different ideas. We've got some new members. We've got some guys and gals that are just started get, getting into it that really like that there's this creative soup that exists because, you know, they can ask questions about their lore. It opens a different dialogue. You know, if we were just covering tactics or if we were just covering lore or if we were just covering, you know, kind of the jokey side, so to speak, of Warhammer 40K, we would be having a lot different conversations. Not that our conversations are more meaningful. Being that we're a creative writing podcast, the fact that we're willing to have these deep conversations about like what does it mean to creative right opens up a different sort of conversation. There's absolutely nothing wrong with any of the other content that exists out there. I actually quite enjoy at least two very specific lore only podcasts. I think they're a lot of fun. And there's a couple mm -hmm. of uh, content creators on YouTube that I really enjoy as well who dive into kind of like merging the history of the game with the history that's in the books, which I think is super neat as well. And I really enjoy and appreciate that stuff, but it's not what gets my engine running, like like you just alluded mm -hmm. to, this is what gets my engine running. And it's something that is not necessarily absent in the current meta, but it is definitely taken a back seat in the current meta. Yeah, 100%. We, we, the, the hobby yeah. has definitely grown in different directions nowadays. And this is one of the things that I enjoyed about the hobby was the creativeness of it. When I put my army down on a table and I'm playing another opponent and they put their army down on the table and they have a story to tell about, you know, sergeant fucking bushwhacker or uh, or billy yeah or billy or their their entire army is themed uh of something and they have a story behind it that right. is what interested me even though from a non not very creative person's standpoint i was like man that's something that i want to do but i don't have the chops for it maybe listening to this podcast and joining the community uh might help help you along that's kind of the whole kind of the whole point behind it i believe yeah it, it opens up another gate of creativity for you and we're here to help facilitate it. I, I, I want to fuck. I want to fuck with you so bad right now and be like I'm Ryan. Probably, I thought you said you were home alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who was that looking in the door behind you? No shit. Right? I, I won't do it. Can you, you see well, the door I already over did. there? No, I, I can only see the one directly. The closet behind you. Oh yeah, the closet, which yeah. is open, which was closed earlier. Thanks, Martin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got a couple of creative writing episodes. One of our creative writing episodes, Creative Writing Getting Started, actually goes over some tips and tricks on how to get involved or how to get started in the creative writing process. And one of the things that even veteran authors will tell you is that borrowing from something that's existing is not a problem. Copying something that's existing, don't do that. Borrowing something that's existing and tweaking it and changing it, go nuts. And that's how, you know, at its basic core, and, and honestly, how you're engaging with it from a kit bashing perspective, that's really what a lot of this stuff starts out as. And people, you know, don't get hung up on the fact that I can sit down and in a 25 minute period bang out an entire Space Marine chapter. I practice writing a lot. 
I'm not saying that you have to be that way. I'm also not saying that I'm the best at it. That's why I'm able to do that because I practice it. If your introduction into this sort of stuff is, hey, I really like these Age of Sigmar models and I really like this army in 40K, I want to put them together. That's a fucking brilliant start. And that already, you know, you start coming up with little kernels, little one-liners, little sidebars of just stuff. And it can end there. That can be as much as you engage on this side of it. However, if you're into coming up with crusades and you're into the idea of getting out of the slog that is tournament play, I enjoy tournament play quite a bit, but I know some people, I know it's not for everybody. That's a way to kind of start doing it. Start looking at those different things as you probably have been able to kind of get a grasp from at least the title of the episode. We're going to specifically talk about building a role-playing game in Innsmouth Hive and where to start with that. For us, everything we just talked about is kind of a great way for us to kind of jump into the topic. So, Marky, I have to tell you, I think it's actually kind of perfect that you suggested we do this when, when we're doing it, even though I'm kind of like, I just want to plow through the lore real quick before we get to something else. It's great because what better faction to focus on the idea of role playing and storytelling than the Imperial Guard? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, there's... I- you you play 15 minutes later you're dead it's 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 <laughs> the best character, it's the best keep going <laughs> it's the best kind of one shot <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of funny so the the game is designed as a war game and because it's designed as a war game there's a lot of factions that have a lot of really cool world building and lore building in them but in general it can be really hard as a person to experience or relate to demigods superhuman and child soldiers who have been genetically manipulated into meatheads or alien intelligences that are able to crumple you with a thought. Those are all really, really high kind of single faceted science fiction concepts. And it can be difficult to get into that mindset and experience the game from there. And I think we see that in modern media. Uh, I, I just watched The Eternals. I don't know how I feel about it because it was really hard to connect with any of those characters. You know, I, like, uh, I only watched about half of it, and then I was like, "I'm, I'm good." <laughs> I, it, did were you failing to un, like, like I, one? It felt like it was trying to not retcon, but like retconning the fuck out of Infinity War. And two, I was just like, I don't know how to feel about any. You guys are all superhumans that have been alive forever. I don't care anymore. It, yeah, that's kind of where I, I sat with it as well. Just seeing them, and I was just kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I just didn't feel like any kind of connection when you, when you think about uh, Tony Stark and how he was just literally a human in a tin can versus yeah. like a, a god or goddess that is almost unstoppable fighting another unstoppable force and yeah it's cool but like there the the fear i can't think of the phrase but like the fear of death there's no con there's no consequence exactly yeah so when you when you're basically playing a game on god mode it's it's fun but it's not it's enriching exactly i mean it's only fun for like you know maybe 15 minutes and then you're like okay well i've done it all i'm good whereas (laughs) like you play a game and you're a guardsman you're every second of your life you're fighting for your life right it's a it's a little more uh, like holy shit i think we're seeing that a lot with the black library publications too and i i don't necessarily want to call out i'm not going to call out any books that i dislike or point out anything that i think was written poorly because i don't think it's a problem with the authors. I think it's a problem with the subject mattery. Matter. Mattery. <laughs> with the subject matter. Just making up words. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ultimately, at the end of the day, 
as cool as the wars and the exploits of the Space Marines can be in an overall arc, it gets a little boring when it's Space Marines slobbering demons and just like super powerful things because it's Mm -hmm. just a super one-dimensional story. At a certain point, reading the Horus Heresy and I... It's it's a fatigue thing. Again, it, this is not about an author. This isn't about anything other than just fatigue with the subject. At a certain point, reading the Horus Heresy, it became very obvious to me that every single problem was a nail and every single Space Marine was going to fix it with the bolter. And there's not a lot of dimension to that. Mm-hmm. To point out a good example are the works of Dan Abnett, which are actually used a lot of examples of how to get people into the 40K setting who are interested in the lore, even if they're only like passively (laughs) dice curious, as we like to say. Uh, You know, his war novels like Gaunt's Ghost series and then the one-offs like Double Eagle, they're focusing on the individual efforts of common soldiers, which is a lot easier to relate to. You know, there's consequences to the actions. You see what the average guardsman goes through. And like, we've heard Kevin and me uh, to a lesser extent, because I read them quite a a while ago, but we've heard Kevin talk with a lot of reverence about the Gaunt's Ghost series because of that relatableness, because of that dimensionality to those characters that Dan Abnett had written. Yeah, 100%. It's the, uh, I I guess to to bring up another example of it is like uh, Superman and Batman. Superman is uh, unstoppable where Batman has, you know, anything could happen. He's just a human with gadgets. Where Superman, it's like, okay, you know, like you said, uh, you know, every question is a nail and every answer is, you know, Superman's hammer. And I'm not talking about his... Wiener. Talking about the hammer in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, at, at a certain point, oddly enough, kind of a problem I have with the movie The Eternals too. When you have cosmic eye ray beams, why the fuck would you do anything other than use those to solve every problem? I mean, yep. like, arguably the other major angle that you can use to approach the idea of running or designing a role-playing game in the 40K setting is to look at some of the smaller games that have existed in G-Dub's past. Games like Necromunda, We have Inquisitor, the super short-lived 54-millimeter miniatures game, which I actually really, really liked the terrain and the models they made, but the game was a mess. (laughs) Rogue Trader, the original release of Warhammer 40K, and more recently, stuff like Blackstone Fortress. And I can actually make some good arguments for Kill Team and Crusade. They're a lot smaller And they're a lot easier to approach if you're trying to get that idea of like, how do I take this into a role-playing sense or how do I take this into a storytelling sense? Mm -hmm. You know, looking at, again, to go back to Dan Abnett, he also focused on things that took place away from the front lines, stuff that deals with the background working of the Imperium. And in fact, he filled in a lot of stuff that had kind of just been left to like one-liners or half paragraphs and core rule books from 20 years ago. With the Eisenhorn, the Ravener, and I believe Beckwin is the current series. He really gets into the slices of life in the Imperium, showing off what happens in specific settings and kind of giving you an idea of how you can approach and how you can tweak building your own scenario. There's a guy on YouTube that I really like who has done a couple of like book clubs about the books, Arbiter Ian. We'll toss a link down to his show um, in our notes, but he kind of described it in a really cool way. Eisenhorn is the noir story. Ravener is the action adventure, like shoot 'em up story. And Beckwin mm-hmm. is the like Charles Dickens story, the Gothic 
horror story. And like, that's cool. These all take place in the same universe. All of these characters interact with each other, but they're all looking at the setting in a different way. And it also beautifully illustrates with how massive 40K is, you can focus on whatever the hell you want to talk mm -hmm. about. As examples that we've kicked around the studio, let's pick on Kill Team real quick right off the bat. Tom had mentioned how would I ever do knights in a kill team? And, you know, I had come up with the whole idea of, well, like, obviously you've got your, uh, what it was, he calls them the Night's Watch, his, his space Marines. Your space right. Marines yeah, have- which I think he retconned, but he's yeah. still playing with it. <laughs> it's a cool idea. So if you've got a knight, so if you primarily play knights and you developed a bunch of knight lore like Tom has, and you want to get into kill team because you want to, you know, your gaming group wants to, or you want to check it out and you you're kind of grasping at straws, your space Marines are going to rescue a downed knight. A knight is a huge piece of tech that they can't lose. They have to rescue it. I think Kevin gave you shit for wanting to do your Kriegsman as Steel Legion. Totally oh, makes right. sense. Steel Legion commandos would be sent in to rescue a Bane Blade before Xenos looted it. Mm. And, th and that fits in with the damn box. The orcs are there to loot it. Your Steel Legion are there to rescue it. Mm -hmm. there, there's stuff like this. Uh, we also did our ad hoc kind of tongue-in-cheek crusade with the Mojavius Segundus, where we ditched standard organized play for you guys in a couple of streams to make our own dumb, silly scenarios. And we ran it on a mining world that was being overrun by the Tyranids. And depending on how Marky and I played and the objectives that Marky and I captured, it determined how the next game would be run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was pretty fun. I uh, That's kind of one of the, the, the other half of... 40k that i think some people miss out on the uh the creative story like where i think i've mentioned this before in the pod as well but when you play 40k you're always thinking what is the best what's the, what's the most tactical thing i can do right now what is right. what's going to win me the game well another way to play 40k is maybe not play to win but play to have fun and you yeah, know maybe winning is win yeah and, and not that you know winning isn't fun but maybe play to hey what would my what would Sergeant Bushwhacker do right now? Is he going to go run out on that objective alone just because he's going to score me five points? No. Sar Sergeant Bushwhacker is going to go run with his squad and take revenge on the you know fire team that just took out you know his best friend, Joe. Right. right and that's exactly. what he's going to do. He's not going to go score me five points. He's going to go get revenge for his buddy. Right. And that's kind of like the other... The other half of 40K, where you can enjoy 40K from a from a more storytelling and I, I, I keep saying the word fun, but it's a more storytelling and funny or fun aspect versus like, okay, here's five points. Right. My, and we, my commander's going to go score me five points kind of deal. And they built ninth edition to kind of take advantage of that. You know, you've got... It's, it's just more of a, uh, yeah. like, Crusade's more of like a structured right. uh, narrative play where people would, back in the day, people <sighs> would play narrative games and they would create Different. their own yeah. story yeah. where Crusade kind of has a little more structure to where it can help facilitate your need to create a narrative game. Yeah, the first two Crusade books, actually, the first time that GW used the words Crusade for like creating a Crusade army was Eye of Terror and um, City Fight, the original Eye of Terror. And so we're talking like third and a whatever, third and three quarters whenever those books came out, fourth edition. Yeah, yeah. But we've got, we've essentially got three types of play in the ninth edition book. There's tournament play, 
There's ranked play, I believe is what it's officially called, right? It's ranked play, crusade play, and uh, open. It's, I think it's match play, open play, and crusade. Match are the, play. The three yeah. options. Yeah. Right. And very realistically, being somebody who plays in stores, and I know you play in stores too, and, and shit, you just got back from LVO. Yeah. 90% of the focus of the hobby right now is on matched play. Oh, 100%. Uh, um, and I, I think we talked about this before. The reason why match play is so popular versus open play and crusade is because match play, that's where you're going to find your most balance, where both people are going to have a fair fight. Right. Where crusade is like, oh, I have this buffed up super captain that's been in, you know, 40 wars, and he's got like the thunder hammer of a thousand fucking cocks, and he's going to smash your head in, you know, because he does five wounds on, or five damage on, you know, on the charge or some shit like that. Right. Where match play is more balanced balanced versus like oh hey you know i have this overpowered guy because he's been alive and fighting so long yeah which is fun from a different standpoint and there's things that you can do with different game types i'm sure we'll get into it we're actually going to cover crusades when we're here soon too so right we'll get into it a little bit we've been in the talks about that for a minute yeah 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 it's it's on the schedule it's actually right after imperial guard so oh fuck i gotta do some research (laughs) specifically if you want to really really dive into rpg stuff you can also just do an RPG. And the one that we've teased out is the Death Watch kill team. So the idea being that four or five Marines in a kill team under Death Watch are sent after an ancient old one artifact. And it entirely focuses on just the adventure of getting that. And it will be a future RPG episode. As we move closer and closer to year two, which we keep calling season two of Under the Hive of Manus, we wanted to expand a lot more on the creative writing and storytelling elements of the setting and how we do it. One of the ways that we've done is we're trying to work in a lot more tips and tricks into our lore series while also taking time to look at other ways to play and other ways to tell stories in the grim darkness of the far future. This is our first RPG focused episode where we're going to look a lot at the past role playing games of 40k as well as laying out how we might approach designing a campaign that would take place in the massive shield walls of Innsmouth Hive itself. A descent under the hive of madness. Before we get into that, let's uh, let's talk about our past with role playing so it's not just two of us being like, oh yeah, RPGs, we just read about them on the internet yesterday. <laughs> so uh, I've played a few Crusades. I've played a few narrative games of 40K. I would say who hasn't, but there is a lot of people, unfortunately, that haven't played narrative yeah. or Crusade games. I've played a few games of Necromunda, which is a little more RPG-based. Little, uh, It's like the original Necromunda, so it's like hardcore oh, yeah. hardcore Crusade, where it's like there's a lot of bookkeeping. It's like D&D, but with miniatures. It's like uh, running but, a group of like nine D&D characters. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty gnarly the amount of bookkeeping to some people it's fun i thought it was fun because it's essentially like you just played a level on you know a a video game that you like and you basically get to upgrade your character it's like uh, leveling up it's uh, it's pretty sweet definitely i haven't dm'd D&D campaigns, I feel like You've played in some D&D though, right? I've, I've played in a, a, a bunch of D&D campaigns and I'm sure a lot of people have, but I co-DM'd my daughter's birthday, which was oh, pretty very cool. sweet. Yeah, I'm a, so I, I, I do it, I don't want to say I do it different, but I like the immersion aspect of uh, playing narrative games. My buddy also gets pretty deep into it, like uh, I do like fucking mood lighting, music, you know, soundboard stuff. I like playing with miniatures so you have a kind of a visual aspect of it And we even have like a TV up that shows different, you know, images of what you're, you know, when they'd say you're walking into a forest and the trees are, you know, as tall as skyscrapers or obviously, you know, you're going to, 
you're going to describe it a little different, but you know, you're going to show a picture with tall trees. That's my cool, buddy man. would actually, cool. uh, yeah, my buddy would light candles for like pine trees and stuff. It's like, as you walk in, you know, and then you can smell the pine trees. Like it, it was, it's all pretty interesting. That's cool, man. That's cool. When did you start dabbling in role playing? Oh boy. That's a good question. I, I want to say it's been like, <laughs> I want to say it's been like my whole life. <laughs> like That's just cool. since I, since I started playing games, it's all about just, uh, you know, you sit there and you, you tell a story, you have a good time. As yeah. much as I suck at uh, writing stories, I, I definitely like being a part of them. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it, it's definitely fun. So I've got kind of a weird history with it. Uh, my first role-playing game ever was Robotech by Palladium Books. We're talking like, I think it was published in 1986. So I was young. I was like five, six years old. I was taught how to play. I moved from that into Battletech in like early middle school. And I heavily focused on the miniature combat side of Battletech. And and like back then, like I'm saying miniature combat side, but back then a lot of stuff was like cardboard little dudes and you just, you, you know, you had a sheet and you had to track your heat and all that crap. And it was very, that's dope. <laughs> it was very light on the RPG elements, but it was there. That was also around the time that I got into, it was the, it was those little cardboard cutouts that actually got me into Warhammer. Mm-hmm. You know, that Magic the Gathering, Magic the Gathering has some like light storytelling elements in it too. In high school, I played West End games, Star Wars, Shadowrun, and Rifts. However, to be honest, it was mostly just because I was already starting to get into illustration and I was a super big fan of all of that like old school 80s art that was in the books that based on, and I know you guys have heard some of this stuff before, but based on the fact that I was relatively active in the like social scene of high school, I didn't have a lot of gaming time. So a lot of stuff was like one-offs with friends or stuff that I got in, uh, involved with like towards the tail end of like a social event or a party. I did, however, land party a lot, especially as I got a little bit more in with the computer guys like my junior year. And they showed me a lot of this stuff and that it was pretty cool. And for whatever reason, even though there were a couple of us, there, there I, this is probably why there were a couple of us who were like jocks in the computer dudes group. And I think the fact that there were like three or four of us that were kind of jockey is probably the reason that the three or four of us kept showing up because we had, there was never that like geeks versus freaks or, or whatever. All that shit that they sold you about the late nineties high school was not my experience. <laughs> and I, nerd. and I think it just made really good TV. I don't think it actually happened to a lot of people, but maybe it did. I was actually inspired by a teacher in my junior year to start writing short stories that were connected to a lot of the sketches I was doing. And some of those notes led to the fantasy world that I've written, the sci-fi world that I'm currently working on, and a lot of the stuff that you guys have heard me talk about in 40k. In college, I worked for Wizards of the Coast, and that was the first time I ever got involved with Dungeons and Dragons. So my my actual, like, I never had that early D&D experience that a lot of people who are into this stuff did. Through Wizards, I also got involved with Deadline although back in the day Deadlands was under the D20 system we're going to talk about Suede and Savage Worlds here soon uh, Suede is Savage Worlds Adventure Edition you guys heard Tom and I talk about Vampire the Masquerade as well that was something that I got into in mid late college when I became settled in the Southern California area I actually ran a LARP for five seasons which is like like two and a half maybe three years it was a lot of fun as being a storyteller in an organization there was a it, it's 
called the Camarilla Fan Club, and it's um, everybody who runs games in the United States shares notes, and there was a lot of like living world stuff. I think it's gone now. I think it's been replaced with a different organization. Fourth edition D&D came out around that time, or when fourth edition D&D came out, I fell on the Pathfinder side of the argument, and I stayed there until 2015. Not that I got into D&D fifth edition. That's actually when I got into Savage Worlds. I also got into mushing at one point. I don't know if you ever did multi-use user dungeons the whole like like you're role-playing but you're role-playing online so you're not seeing people you're doing it that way no uh, so a lot of the the stuff i did was more at the like table. self yeah it was either like board games or self self-created games so like kind of when i say i've been doing this my whole life it's like the first thing i can think of that started was my brother and i we got a set of lego like they weren't legos i think they're like mega blocks or some kind of knockoff uh right, like right. knights and they had like different weapons and different armors and you can tell like the ones that were like the commanders and stuff and my brother and i like made a battlefield and literally uh, like cool. were, like built out stats for like each weapon and whatnot and like upgraded the weapons as we went it was just like a game we created I, I, I don't even game. know if my brother remembers it honestly because we were so young so that's that's when i say my whole life i don't mean it like yeah ever since i was a baby man i've been fucking dm yeah. and dm and shit but like it's to the point where like my bro i don't know i was maybe like seven my brother was five and we were creating like stats on paper and shit like you know little stuff like yeah that. well that was like my robotech stuff though one, one of the older kids in the neighborhood in oceanside i say older kids he was like the 20 year old that was still living at um, well <laughs> that wasn't really common back then so so like i uh, the, our, are our economy <laughs> has changed a lot things are when, a little different now. <laughs> when you're at 20 when you were a 25 year old living at home in the 80s that it, it, it meant something a little different so just like i don't i'm not trying to knock anybody but he yeah, was means, he was means the, you like to get high no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he, he was the guy who kind of like sort of defaults with all the parents in the neighborhood became the like babysitter or whatever and he taught us how to play the stuff he was into which was role-playing games I fell into, or I got into a Werewolf the Apocalypse Apocalypse game that was on a, a mush. So it's like a it's like a chat room mixed with D and D rules. Basically, it's it's kind of they're weird, they're cool, but they're strange. And in game, my character got into a romantic relationship with somebody, and it was like it was it's story. You're cooperatively storytelling, and you're cooperatively storytelling. In that case, I think there were like a hundred ish users from all over the world that were involved. So it was just like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, sure, let's go. It got a little swim fan stalkerish though. Uh, she started to think that we were in a relationship, and I was like, nah, dog. <laughs> and that's when I learned that there is a dark side to all of this internet role-playing stuff. She's and a man, the baby. Fuck out. <laughs> um, she wasn't. Uh, yeah, and, no, no, no. and she wasn't even necessarily bad looking, but there was just something about like the possession that she all of a sudden had of my, and I was like, oh, I'm done. Oh, yeah, oh, I, you think we're actually in a relationship? I'm done. <laughs> so I had a uh, a similar situation where playing like a an RPG type online game back in the day. I don't even remember what the game was called, but there was a uh, this I want to say girl. <laughs> you don't know <laughs> that well i i found out later but uh it is like uh man this is like dark days stuff oh, yeah, we were no, playing is... playing a game and they're like oh yeah you know like getting to know me they're like oh my god we have so much in common i'm like a little 12 year old kid or something and i'm just like yeah i guess we have a lot of con i like i like dr pepper you like dr pepper we have so much in common <laughs> 
She's like, oh, what's what's your aim or some shit like that, right? And uh, oh, yeah, like all yeah, of a sudden, well, they started started sending me started sending me pictures and stuff. And she's like, yeah, we're together now. And I'm just like, I'm I'm fucking quitting this game. And it was a <laughs> there, the there's a lot up. more to the story, but it was yeah, yeah it was an interesting time. I was I was the uh, <laughs> what do you call it? I was the target of of some of I don't know cougar lady. <laughs> <laughs> This was this wasn't quite that because this girl was actually a little bit like if you've ever seen the movie Swim Fan, it was exactly like that. She was like I'm not five six years younger than me. I was in a relationship that I had been really open about like the entire time because these people were people that I was talking to. I was helping writing some of the setting stuff, and I knew the people that were running mm-hmm. the game. And like it just got I it was it was very stalkery. It was very weird yep. and stalkery. That's that's how it was for me. I was uh. Dude, I was twelve. She was like, I don't know, maybe like twenty eight or some shit. Yeah. She's like, like, Why are you, are you on my MySpace? Page? Yeah, she's like, <laughs> she's like, where? Yeah, she's like, what's your real name? Where you live? And I'm just like, I, I red don't flag, think I red should flag, be sharing this information. <laughs> I don't think I should be sharing this. We're playing a game right now. Right. I'm trying to kill this dragon. You know. <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah, somewhere around 2012, I got involved with running gaming conventions and esport events. It was probably honestly earlier than that. No, it was definitely earlier than that. 2012 was probably one of the big years because uh, Video Game High School actually premiered at one of the events I ran. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Fr- good old Freddie Wong. Yeah, and yeah. Rocket Jump Studios. Very, very, very edge of acquaintance because I only have met them a couple of times. But uh, Sam and Nico, Freddie from Rocket Jump, and a couple of those other guys are people that I've met in real life. They're they're pretty dope. But d- from the convention scene, so like, right? I'm there working, and they're there as talent. So there's there's very much like there's a separate. You you might party and hang out one night, but you don't know them. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, makes it totally makes sense. It's 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 how this shit goes. But yeah, I got involved with running. I I think I I think I started running game conventions around 2012 is probably a good way to do it. But um, I got back into Shadowrun and that's how I got introduced to Savage Worlds, uh, which is where we're going to lead into our our, the end of our episode here. In our next episode, we'll talk a little bit about bending Savage Worlds to being used to run 40K games. But um, yeah, that was about maybe 2015. I currently run a Deadlands Noir game that centers around nazis attempting to perpetrate not perpetrate it's a murder so so deadlands noir is a noir game so it's a murder investigation game and uh the villains in my game are nazis and they are attempting a ritualized serial murder in order to bring in lovecraftian inspired horrors to the world to essentially win world war ii before world war ii happens <laughs> that's dope i don't think it'd be any surprise to anybody but i'm stupid into horror and true crime i love lovecraftian lore i'm super into american gothic stuff marky and i share this like dumb love for 80s 90s slasher and zombie flicks <laughs> as well as just all this apocalyptic shit i mean we, we're in a warhammer 40k podcast together and we we talk about arnold movies so yeah and you know wasteland on top of that oh hell yeah man which is essentially how we met yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me and you, so, so I met Ryan because I, we have mutual friends, and uh, we actually ended up camping next to each other. Yep, 
That's right. <laughs> and then we got pulled into, or, and then I heard from a guy that I got, I got hired to run a bigger convention and I got told that there were these 40K guys. And I was like, great, I'm always so busy at these. I can't run 40K stuff. Let's mm-hmm. bring them in. And then the guy that I was running that with brought you guys in and I'm like, oh shit, I know all these guys. You're like, hey, I know these fuckers. <laughs> uh, except that but, Kevin guy. I don't fucking know. He's shit. Yeah, fucking, fucking Kevin. Yeah, but the reason we bring all this up is because this, this wealth of information, this wealth of creativeness, you know, hopefully we can maybe spark something in you if you have similar, you know, similar ideas or you've yeah. had similar experiences, you can use that to create a crusade or create like a narrative game for yourself. It doesn't even have to be for, you know, for yourself. Obviously, you know, you can share it with for your friends. Yeah, for yeah, exactly. Tom himself was talking about how, you know, maybe we can create some kind of RPG for his Dizantine nights and whatnot. Yeah, and doing like a kai- uh, kaiju versus big yeah, monster, yeah. big robots. Yeah. And I mean, it's more of a, a fun thing for us. The whole idea of creating content for it is great too. It's not everybody shares the same likes and dislikes or I guess, you know, however, however it works. Right. But if you, you know, maybe it, it'll spark something in yourself where it's like, oh, hey, maybe I want to create like an RPG for, you know, this one character that I have. And maybe I want to run him against, a, you know, a hundred healthy pox walkers. Right. And the, and the other thing is, you know, when Marky and I talked about this idea, we, we had our production meeting. We, we kind of tossed back a bunch of ideas of how we wanted to talk about 40K and role playing and how those two things like, like exchanged. And we really came up with one all over the board, no matter what you're doing. Even in your competitive tabletop game, you can put in these little kernels of role playing. You know, it, it happens where like one of my, uh, my, Scythe Teradol has a nickname already. They call him, the guys in the local group call him Big Tiny, (laughs) which I think is fucking hysterical. But they're like, oh, oh, did he rush Big Tiny into your back line? And the guy's like, yeah, (laughs) because that's what I do. I fucking charge up the board and then I'm, you know, turn one in melee combat with the tank you were trying to hide. But, uh, you know, it's little stuff like that or Billy. Like there's Mm -hmm. ways to do it at any level. What we really kind of drilled down to is how fucking dope would it be if we looked at building a role-playing setting that utilized two that that utilized and focused on two things one how do you use the necromunda rules to run gangs in in's mouth and two how do you role play as a single character in in's mouth and that's where we're getting you know we're, we're doing justice of putting a base in there and kind of letting you guys know that we're not pulling crap out of our ass and just kind of letting you know where we come from. And if you have any of these things in your past, like obviously as Marky just said, fucking use it, man. Get into this shit. Here's the crux. Here's the the elevator pitch. There have been a couple of attempts to make a Warhammer 40k role-playing game. Probably the most famous examples are Dark Heresy, Only War, Death Watch, and Rogue Trader. They were all released by Fantasy Flight Games, and they're pretty good. And I say they're pretty good for two reasons. One, they really, really, really expanded the lore, and they introduced an entire new sector to explore. They introduced new bolter rounds. They really expanded on a bunch of stuff that G-Dub had just kind of left open to interpretation. Now, this is something that I learned recently. You're actually right when you say, I don't want to talk about can when we when we make the canon jokes in Warhammer 40k games workshop actually has an official rule which I was unaware of I that, that so you have to as we said in an earlier episode you generally treat codexes and rule books as official documentation and novels as personal accounts but there's a deeper core to that rule 
which I found out just a couple of months ago, just a couple of weeks ago, not months ago. Anything with the Warhammer 40k logo on it is officially something that exists in the universe. And they get away with it in basically two ways. Either either one, nothing in Warhammer is canon because there aren't the reason that we use canon in a lot of cases is like they're fucking 40 Earths in Superman. There's there's four timelines in Star Trek. There's 13 different variations to look at the Star Wars universe. And that's why companies use the word canon. There are no multiple interpretations of Warhammer 40K. Everything you're given, you can use in any way you see fit. 40K also doesn't retcon nearly as much as we make fun of them for retconning. They're just introducing stuff that maybe people don't know about. And that's what makes these fantasy flight books, in my opinion, so fucking cool. There is so much dope lore in them. However, they yes. fall victim. <laughs> What's I, I was going to say, fantasy flight actually created a lot of the Death Watch Death lore. Watch that, stuff, that, yeah. that, that That is way more... Way, way more awesome than the actual, I don't want to say canon lore, but the lore that GW like kind of spewed out. The Fantasy Flight Games was way cooler. And we'll get th- we'll get into that when we start yeah. doing like our Death Watch episodes and whatnot. And it's not that Games Workshop didn't care. And it's not that Games Workshop doesn't have good writers. It's that Games Workshop was like, oh yeah, there's a Death Watch. They're cool. They do stuff over here. Go write a story. You as a player, go write a story with the Death Watch. That, James, that's- James Woodchup. James Woodchup, yeah. That's how they set it up. Games Workshop introduces stuff like that to give us a blank canvas as players. The pitfall that happens in the Fantasy Flight games is that they suffer from something that a lot of role-playing and early wargaming stuff failed from, or not failed from, suffered from. There's a lot of rules. One of the big things that can really stall a story is spending three hours of a five-hour game on three minutes of combat because everybody has to get dragged in. You know, everybody's arguing over some rule, and Mm -hmm. that rule is in this book, and it's only in this book, and it's only characters who use that book, and then you have to go look it up. And we call that crunch. These games are really, really crunchy. Shadowrun is another game that's known for being really, really crunchy, and it has a tendency to pull you out of what you're doing. Another way, uh, or the other big one, uh, the other big attempt, which isn't really necessarily an attempt, but it, 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 I think it functions, so calling it an attempt is, is bad, is the skirmish game Necromunda. The earlier editions of the game really focused on a lot of the RPG sides of building a hive gang and how that gang worked and how they grew in advance, as Marky had pointed out, and what they did between games. You know, your hive gang would do stuff when they weren't engaged in the battle they were in, which added these extra elements to it. Now, I say earlier editions because I am familiar with the first and second and that's not even true i think the third and fourth edition of necromunda because they're, oh, the first I think there's edition, only add-ons because there was only there technically they're on second edition right now so anything that they added to the oh, first really? edition yeah so so there was a game called it's like Conf- little add-ons yeah there is a game called confrontation which is the original necromunda and then there's necromunda and then there's like outlander and lowlander okay and now okay so now we're on the second edition this is the re-release yeah, of Necromunda, yeah. For some reason, I thought it was the fourth. So there's a couple of games that existed that got us to modern Necromunda. I don't know a lot about modern Necromunda. Um, same, same. I actually haven't yeah. played it, which is unfortunate I'm, because I'm, I really like Necromunda. I'm pretty sure it's third edition because I'm pretty sure I've played second. 
But maybe, I don't know, maybe you're right. It's just like we talk about with a lot of the codexes as we've been covering. A lot of crunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of codexes that deal with different guard stuff that like we would refer to as the fifth edition codex, but technically it's a third edition. It's weird. It's, it can be yeah. weird. It can be very confusing. Anyway, so that really brings us to building an RPG that takes place inside the Innsmouth Hive. And these bones that we're going to lay out are what is going to be used to build or what I am using to build the Death Watch RPG as well. And we're going to come at it from an Innsmouth Hive version first because if we can come up with this stuff and we can get it to you guys, you know, probably through Patreon first, but we'll we'll figure it out as it moves forward. You guys will have a way of interacting with this amazing world you're helping us build through our community, mm-hmm. which we we just I, I mean, dude, like when you when you pitched that to me in the production meeting, I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> like like, whew, like how do I sit down and write about this now? <laughs> right. <laughs> and you right. say that, and you say that you don't help me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You do, man. You there, do, there's man. that five percent. That's what I'm talking. <laughs> so I got, um, I got, I got, I got kernels here and there, man. So, like poo. <laughs> so <laughs> that brings us to the end of the episode where we're going to talk about Savage Worlds, and this is because Marky was like, Ryan, you got to explain Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> so Savage Worlds is a generic role-playing game system designed towards having a cooperative storytelling experience with your players rather than having a story that you constantly lead your players back to. And I think it's really important to start with that concept because as much as I love Dungeons & Dragons, as much as I love Pathfinder, as much as I love some of these other games, Shadowrun, the other ones I've mentioned. It, it can be linear. And the way that the rule book is written, if you read that first rule, it's a, you are the dungeon master. You are the master mm-hmm. of these people. The first rule, or one of, not, not the first rule in the current book, but one of the rules that stuck with me in the first Savage Worlds rule book I read was, you are at the service of your players. And they lay out a scenario. And the scenario is if your player has, there's edges and hindrances in Savage Worlds, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if you have a player who has an edge, which allows them to get a clue for a murder in the scenario that they're in, and you haven't written a clue into that room and they use their edge, you as the GM don't immediately go, well, there's no clear here clue here. You wasted your the, your use, you know, you get you get three uses a game and you wasted this one. Sorry, haha. You are then as the master, the storyteller, not the not the game master, the storyteller. It is then your responsibility to add a clue to that room because your player is directing the story. You're not directing the story. You're facilitating the story. And that entire like ground up concept for me makes so much more sense in the type of stories that I want to run. And not that fucking crunching through a dungeon isn't fun as fuck because it is. And Hell yeah, it is. running that is fun as fuck too. But when it comes to like wanting to really tell a cooperative story, I want to be immersed in a in a in a soup that has me thinking in that mindset. I'm facilitating my players. My players aren't facilitating the story. Yeah, um, I kind of like kind of how you mentioned before. Like when I said D and D can be linear. Obviously, it's up to the dungeon master. But think yeah. of it like from a a 40k narrative standpoint, where uh, kind of how we did before, where every battle is dictating the next part of the story versus right. like every battle is just going to end up going back to the same thing. 
like in the end, this is your this is your end goal instead of you know oh hey they won here oh hey they they're still winning okay well I guess you know your guys are dying out you're the last of your kind you know yeah. it can it can branch off into different things instead of coming to a linear endpoint or end goal right none of these these are all concepts and they can all be applied to different games this this is i like savage worlds so a lot of the stuff i'm going to say about savage worlds is going to be is very sales pitchy it's my preferred system you, you talk to somebody whose preferred system is DD fifth edition you're going to get the same sort of stuff i'm not saying that you can't do you can't take this style and apply it to DD. you totally can i'm not trying to stop you i'm not saying you have to change the savage worlds i like savage worlds this is what Marky and I decided we're doing. <laughs> um, and I dig it. So a lot of the elements of Savage Worlds are built more around the sort of fast pulp action that was made famous in the space opera settings and Western settings of the dime novels of the 1920s and 1940s. However, they really exploded into the American consciousness with media like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. So when we talk about pulp action and pulp heroes, Indiana Jones is a pulp hero. Luke Skywalker is a pulp hero. They're over-the-top heroes in swashbuckling settings, which aren't, you know, you say swashbuckling and everybody's like, oh, well, it's not a pirate movie. You're right, it's not a pirate movie, but they're still swashbuckling heroes. They are very much pulp action stars. Uh, another great example of a pulp action star would be like Flash Gordon from the 1980s. I mean, and honestly, like, I can apply this to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. You can apply it to Sylvester Stallone in yeah, uh, definitely Tango more on Cash. the action side of it yeah. versus the pulp. Uh, but yeah, Russell, um, uh, this is a great fucking example. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, mm -hmm. Kurt Russell. Yeah. Kurt Russell's character in Big Trouble in Little China is 100% a pulp action hero. He doesn't even know what's going on <laughs> mm. <laughs> like for half the movie, which is great. So it's got these core elements that allow you, or it's got this, this mentality that kind of just allows you to tell what they call a fast, fun story. Everything in Savage Worlds is about resolving what's happening as quickly and as fun as possible. Core elements to the way that the structure works is there's no classes. Archetypes still exist, and there's a lot of character templates that you can look at as you gain experience, but there isn't or doesn't have to be a clear line of advancement. So like in d and I'm sure you're familiar with this. If you're a hero, if you're a hero, if you're a fighter, as soon as you get enough experience, you're a level two fighter. You don't have to do that in Savage Worlds. In Savage Worlds, you can start out as a bare-knuckle boxer and build towards a bruiser who uses a heavy autocannon until he is in the thick of it, and then he needs to bust out those knuckles that are studded with bolts and nuts and just really get into the meat up close and personal. There also aren't modifiers. So in a D20 game, a lot of times you have a D20 that you're rolling, and then there's either negative modifiers or positive modifiers. This isn't 100% true, but... It isn't a modifier system. So instead of relying on one die type and then going up or down, you rely on a bunch of die types and then there's one goal. There's only one result to bear in mind. And you'll like this because it was, I know you like this because I know that you like Warhammer 40K and we've talked about it before. That result, that number you're trying to beat is always four. It doesn't change. So, you know, you're trying to hit the orc. All right, let, let, let's, let's put it into perspective. Let, let's bring everything into Warhammer 40k. You're trying to shoot that ganger. You have to beat a four. Not right. And if you have a D20, his armor that means class, you're a badass, right? Uh, actually, D20s aren't used in the game, but. Oh, okay. Yeah, more, more advanced. <laughs> so, yeah, as we get there. <laughs> yeah. So based on this, I'm going to, I'll set up an example. So 
In this example, your ganger is leveling their last pistol at another ganger, and you would refer to your shooting skill. In this case, let's say you're a brand new juve, you're a juvenile, you're a four-armed rat, and you only have a D4 in shooting, so you're going to roll a D4. Now, if you are, now there's something important to talk about. You're going to roll two dice, and there's a reason. As a player character, you're considered a wild card, meaning that you get an additional D6 to roll as well. This gives you that extra something, that pulpiness, that hero-ness mm -hmm. that we talked about. So at the end, you're going to roll a D4 and a D6, which is going to give you a better chance at that success. And let's say in this example, you end up getting a four. So or you roll two dice. So you're going to roll those two dice, a D4 and a D6, and you're going to take the highest of the two as your result, with the end goal being to reach at least four on one of them. The last part that makes the die interesting is called acing. Acing is rolling the highest result on a die type. So on a four, uh, on a D4, you would want a four, and on a D6, you would want a six. An ace, that's what it's called when you get it, explodes. And those exploding results are taken as part of the sum. So in the above example, your ganger fires their laser pistol, and it results in a three on your D4 and a six on your D6. So you're going to roll that D6 again. This time you get a five. So you're going to add those two highest numbers together, that D6 and that five, and you're going to get an 11. This means you hit. Not only does it mean that you hit, it means you hit with a raise. A raise is whenever you beat the target by the next multiple of four. So not only have you gotten to four, but you've also gotten past eight. In this case, it basically just means that you're hitting the target in a very advantageous place. You level the mm -hmm. gun at them, you fire, you hit them in the chin because you're shooting point blank. In most cases, you're only ever going to get a hit in a race. However, that all goes out the door when you talk about damage. In most cases, and to kind of relate it real quickly back to Warhammer 40K, in most games, you have to try to hit. You know, in Warhammer 40K, you got to beat your ballistic skill before you do damage. So now we're into the damage part. So in damage, you're going to get stat line for the weapon. However, as I mentioned before, any of the raises you get are going to continue stacking. So you can get multiple aces rather than just one or two. Now, you're always going to roll until your exploding dice stops because that's the function of the game. But if you're trying to hit, it's only you can only increase your ballistic score so much. <laughs> you can increase your damage exponentially, which works into a, a core tenet of how the game works. So in this example, you roll your damage for your last pistol. You're going to roll it just to say, let's say a last pistol does D6 damage. It's not the most powerful powerful. It's not the best. It's not the weakest. You roll that D6 and you ace three different times. Now, because you already got an ace on your to hit, you're going to roll an additional D6 for additional damage because the weapon is hitting a better part. So on your first, so your rolls are a two, a six, a six, a six, and a four. So your extra die rolls a two or your first die roll, your damage die rolls a two, your extra die aces it three times. And then on its last ace, instead of acing a final time, it just gets a four. You're still going to take the total. So the total of that is 24. That means that you hit with five raises. You might wonder how that works with damage. Damage works differently in the game as well. There are two different types of enemies. There's two different types of NPCs. There are extras and there are wild cards. Every player character is considered a, a wild card. So a wild card gets bennies, which are um, tokens that you can spend when you're in a shitty position. If you need to soak extra damage, if you want to re-roll something. Anything. Miracle dice. Miracle dice. You, <laughs> you get three. That's it. Um, you can get extras for doing cool stuff, but you get three chances to either re-roll. Um, uh, bennies would be more like CP. 
Okay. To, if like you a wanted CP to, re-roll, yeah, essentially. A CP, yeah. And, there, and there's a couple of different ways that you can do it, and you can spend more and stuff like that. However, NPCs, there, there's only there's the extra of the wild card. So think of it as a guard conscript versus a guard sergeant. A guard sergeant's going to be a wild card. A conscript is going to be an extra. An extra can only take one damage over... Um, so so the, the very first hit, the very first damage that's associated is called shaken. So when you're shaken, you're basically, you've been wounded, a lot like Necromunda, you've been wounded, you're a little shaken, you don't really know what to do. The next damage point over shaken kills an extra, because an extra can only be shaken. So if you shake an extra once, and their next turn comes around, and they don't recover from shaken, and then you shake them again, they're dead. A wild card can be shaken and take three damage. That's it. Everything else is armor. You know, your armor can soak or deflect. You can use your your bennies. You can use your CP, your bennies, to soak, to try yeah, to damage, like internalize damage, damage. is different. Damage is different than being shaken, right? So you're, you're shaken on your first one, right? So all so, the damage that you did doesn't mean anything. And then the second time, if you take damage again, it's the sum of the dice roll? No. So so in our, in our example, you rolled a 24. So you right. got a hit, which shakes them. And then you got five raises, which is five wounds. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so, so it's not it's not a matter of uh, how the sum of your dice. It's the uh, how many times you. It's how many crit. raises you get. Yeah, gotcha. how many times you've overcritted. Now, the reason that this is important in the game setting is that it is the great equalizer in telling a pulp story. One of the things that we're all super fucking familiar with especially like in a James Bond movie scenario is Bond ducks and the villain doesn't and the villain gets hit on the overpass or the underpass or the tunnel or whatever as the train goes into the tunnel. He just gets fucking creamed because he doesn't duck. He turns around and looks. That's what this does. So you've got, let's say in this scenario, it's the ganger that you leveled your pistol at and shot is the war boss. It's the gang. It's the OG. It's the old blood. And he's given a speech about how they're going to just take all of your people and whatever. And your ganger just... He's monologuing. He's monologuing. (laughs) And your ganger just pulls out his pistol and fucking fires a shot straight through his head. And he's dead. Like, it's over. The big bad is dead. (laughs) What happens? Uh, And I think that that brings so much to the game setting because it, it, it makes the DM think on their toes and it rewards the players for heroic actions. Mm -hmm. The next big difference is the way that initiative is treated. And this is just a bookkeeping thing. I think it's nicer. I think it's easier. I think it's faster. You play with a standard deck of 52 cards. Oh, you actually have like a deck that you play with. Okay. Yeah. You dial, you deal cards. The cards have different values. Obviously face cards go first. Jokers always reward everybody at the table with an extra Mm -hmm. Benny. They also give you bonuses to damage. So if you draw a Joker, you're going to be doing that additional D6, no matter whether, regardless of how your dice roll, you're going to get some extra bennies and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Then obviously, there's uh, every time a Joker is drawn, the deck is reshuffled. However, until a Joker is drawn, you just keep drawing from the deck. That's kind of cool. Um, It's like a little noir aspect to it. It also, one of the things that I had noticed about Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder is that fucking initiative takes so long yeah and like i understand that people want to build their character to go first and you can do that in savage worlds with edges you can get an edge which means that you get two cards 
Mm-hmm. So you have a, a greater chance of going forward uh, first. But like the whole idea of like all of this micro math to figure out who goes first, just to me felt like the longest part of combat in Dun- Dungeons and Dragons, which is why I like Savage Worlds better. Well, maybe we change uh, the Fangbanger gang to some kind of card game then. So that way we can kind of correlate the two when we play a Necromunda RPG. I well, not Necromunda. Under High. Innsmouth RPG. Innsmouth RPG. My bad, my bad. So then there's Bennies, which we talked about in brief. Bennies are used a lot like CP. I could get deeper into it, but there's a there's a list of things that you use Bennies for. One of those is soaking damage. You can also use a Benny to become unshaken. So if you really want to go. And then depending on the setting, because it's a generic set, and depending on the rules that you make for the setting, you might be able to use a Benny to like go first, for instance, or draw an extra card or something like that. So the last big thing to talk about, because everything else is character creation, and we, we will talk about character creation. We, we will talk about making setting rules for an Innsmouth RPG and then how to create a character in an Innsmouth RPG in our next episode focusing on this. Yeah, and so. this, is, this could even, if, if this is something that grows, this is something that we can even do with the community. So if yeah, you guys yeah. wanted to be a part a of the RPG, Ryan could be the ultimate game master. <laughs> and, and, and as I come up with the setting rules and as you know this is an overview of how suede uh, savage worlds adventure edition works as i come up with the setting rules and as i come up with the damages and as, as marky and i talk about what damages the weapons can do and all that we'll we'll have assets available through patreon uh, through our patreon so that you guys can get access to the pdf and stuff like that and and our patrons will are definitely several of them are big writers and i'm sure they'll help us with it so if you guys are really interested in getting involved with us that's that's the lead in uh sorry we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about patreon here in a couple of minutes again but there's one of the lead-ins if you want to get involved in some of this stuff early this is it we you know marky and i had this production meeting like yesterday we decided on this cool fucking idea and we're already running ahead with it because we've got a lot of ideas that we want to do if you guys want to be involved here is the ground level episode so to speak so the last thing i want to touch on is edges and hindrances edges are extra things that make your dude stand out from the pack now, in, there, there's a couple of ways that edges are always used. And one of them is if you're a magic, if you're a caster, if you have superpowers, because again, it's a generic setting. Um, if you're a superhero, if you're a magic user, if you're somebody who uses like mad science, there is an edge for that. It's in fact, it's magic, weird science and superpowers. In a 40K setting, that background edge, that background, the way you were born edge would be potentially Psyker. Now, you get to pick an edge and you get to pick hindrances and you can use your hindrances to buy an extra edge. But edges might be other things like Sleuth is an edge from Deadlands Noir. You can use a Benny at any point in any scenario, in any scene in the game. And you will get all of the clues for the murder that you're investigating that might be that are in that room. And as I mentioned earlier, if the DM hasn't planned there to be clues in that room, now he has to come up with clues. And my guys in my Deadlands Noir game have done this to me. I have had no clues in the in thing that they're investigating because the way that I run D&D games, the way that I run this type of storytelling games is a lot like how you play The Witcher. There's a cool thing over there. I'm going to go look at the cool thing over there. I don't care about saving what's or nuts. I'm going to go look at the cool thing. That's how I run role-playing games. They used a bit, but they used a Benny in a, I'm going to go look at the cool thing over there scenario. And I immediately gave them clues, which led them back to the storyline that I was trying to tell. And because it's a murder mystery, the longer they ignore what the Nazis are doing in this particular case, the more people end up like appearing around New Orleans dead. (laughs) 
Oh, that's <laughs> so that's how it keeps dragging it back in. Right. <laughs> but I actually want as the storyteller. Oh, fuck. Like two of them listen to the podcast. Guys, don't listen. Don't meta this data. As the storyteller, I want the Nazis to get a certain number of rituals off because then I can bring in big demons. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm distracting the shit out of them on purpose. Like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want them to ignore the storyline. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, shiny thing over there. Yeah, shiny over there. Yeah, you want to fuck around with uh, with city politics? Yeah, city politics are fucking around. Go, go mess with that for like two weeks. <laughs> But there's a, you know, ambidexterity is an edge. Quick drawing your gun is an edge. And there's a lot of stuff here that can really be applied to the life of a ganger, the life of a of a, a juve, or the life of a four-armed rat. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm saying juve as in juvenile. Juvie. Yeah, juvie. Juvie is a better way to say it. You know, our four-armed rats, it's, it's a way to make juve, your juvie character, your starting character that much better. Specialize. A lot of this stuff boils in. Like maybe uh, we can talk, maybe this is actually a hindrance, but maybe one of them gives you a third arm. <laughs> so <laughs> hindrances are things they come in two flavors. Erase on your forehead. Erase it on your forehead. There are two there's two forms of hindrances. There's minor and major. And depending on whether or not it's a minor or a major, it affects the game in a different way. So one of the hindrances is unlucky. And this just means that anytime you roll, every time you start the game, I think you start with one less Benny. Anytime you're paid for a job, you're paid 10% less. There's a bunch of things that happen when you're unlucky. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> there's another hindrance that is like where you have like a chronic addiction. This oh. is actually one that a couple of the guys in are not a chronic addiction, like a tick, something you do. This is something that two of the guys in my game does. One of chronic them is addiction a, to pornography. One of them is a smoker. So 5% of his income every month goes to his cigarette habit. The way that <laughs> I do it is that they actually work for a tobacco company. They they mm-hmm. work for the the like owner of a tobacco company. So he gets paid less than everybody else, but he gets free cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> but he's oh. always he's always in the game because it's it's the 1930s New Orleans. He's always the person in the game that's like, oh yeah, I light up my third cigarette, like in the conversation. So he's he's the dude who's just constantly smoking. <laughs> One of the other guys has a hindrance. Uh, his hindrance is that he's always fidgeting with a deck of playing cards. So he is constantly shuffling cards anytime he's and it's a it's a tell that he's nervous and uh, and that's like the point of a hindrance so a hindrance in in's mouth hive could be a third arm you have to spend a certain amount of your role-playing actions hiding the fact that you have a mutation mm-hmm. and now a third arm would be a major mutation you know uh maybe gills would be a minor mutation because you'd be able to cover it with like a high collar or some makeup or something why is that so guy it, always wearing a scarf yeah why, why, gives, why is that guy yeah. always got a turtleneck on right something funny about him Oh, no. <laughs> no, Alfred. This is one of my blacker turtlenecks. <laughs> <laughs> now, would it be minor or major to have two dicks? I think that would be an edge. <laughs> 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 but that, but that's one of the things, as you kind of brought up kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way, that's one of the things that you can play with the edges or hindrances, too. You have a third arm, which means that the Arbites and the Inquisition and a bunch of other stuff's going to be yeah, after you. Yeah, but now you're once upon a time in Mexico. You got fucking... You got... Blam from under the table. Right, exactly. You know, and, and, you know, you pair that with the um, double attack action and the ambidexterity action, and now you can fire three guns with no penalties in combat. I mean, everybody fucking knows you're the three-armed guy now. (laughs) And all the implications that that means to storytelling. So you're like, you're like sex machine, dude. It's like a third pistol, but it's like a, it's like a dick, it's like a dick revolver. (laughs) 
<laughs> At least that's you what they think it is. You don't have a but dick. It's really you just, just have but an it's arm. really just your arm. Yeah, it's really just your arm from underneath your crotch. <laughs> so there's a lot of work that Marky and I are starting to do on this. As I mentioned, we've got to yeah, figure I got out. Ideas, yo. We got to figure out all of the edges and hindrances. We've got to figure out all the weapon profiles. That that's pretty much the biggest. There's some other stuff that comes into suede. There's ways to make like alien races. So we'll probably come up with a mutant one when we get into running the Death Watch RPG, which will be based on the same foundation of rules. They'll be like, this is what a Carcharodon template does to change a normal human. This is what a flesh terror template does to change a normal human. We'll we'll figure all we'll figure all that stuff out. Now as we're developing this, we're definitely going to share it with you guys. We're definitely going to work with the community. And as those PDF pages are ready or whatever that we come up with is ready, we will share them through Patreon. It helps us continue to grow. It helps you guys get a better show. And we do put a lot of work into this as I, I'm, I'm sure you guys are starting to notice. Uh, I, I think I, if, unless you have any questions, I mean, I, we can turn this into a three hour episode, but that's probably not where we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll return next episode. Uh, Marky, unless you got any questions, um, I'll, I'll run no, I'm, uh, I'm excited to do possibly some community stuff with it. And Hell yeah, man. Honestly, I, it, it's kind of the whole same thing. Superman, Batman kind of scenario where Superman would be 40 K Necromunda is Batman. Right. You can get, a, you can get a lot more immersion and wealth of just gameplay from Necromunda yeah. because well, there's my- so much more at stake. And I think if we build this right, we can build rules where you can run, you know, probably not nine gangers with it, but you'd be able to run three gangers with it. You'd be able to Mm -hmm. say, okay, I've got, these are my three gangers. Right. Uh, The other thing that's really nice about Savage Worlds is Savage Worlds is actually built around using miniatures. So you, you move, you move six, you move six inches. That's a standard move. Um, So if you're playing with a game board, that's got grids on grid squares on it, each grid is a movement, so you move six squares. But if you're on a tabletop, you bust out your me- your measuring tape. Your mm-hmm. your ranges for your weapons are all in inches. Line of sight works the same way it does in Warhammer 40k. So if you build it right, you literally could, you know, if you're not focusing on the story elements, you totally could run four gangers or five gangers in the scenario. In fact, this might be how we build the murder ball rules. I mean, mm-hmm. we probably have to simplify out a lot of stuff, but you know. There's a a lot here. Yeah, so we're going to come back with RPG episodes every once in a while, just like we do with creative writing and with our roundtable discussion episodes where we'll dig deeper into this. We'll flesh out some more stuff. We'll tell you a little bit more about what we're doing as a teaser. The core idea for all of this is that the plague of unbelief somehow infects something in the Innsmouth Hive, or a gene mm, stealer, zombie. yeah, or a gene stealer cult uprising. Those are the kernels that we've played with, yes. and uh, and the underhive is cut off, and you are trying to survive. That's the kernel that we're laying out there, and we'll get more into it. You got anything? You got anything else you wanna you wanna toss in? No, no, I fucking just just the fact that I zombies. I love zombies. Yeah, I love zombies, and honestly, Fuck I've yeah, been man. I've been wanting to. Yeah, I've always wanted to create like a story or RPG based off like zombie survival. I think yeah. it, as much as everyone's like, oh, I'm fucking over zombies, like I'm I'm not. Uh, I, 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 I've, I could kill zombies forever. <laughs> Hell yeah. So yeah, if you guys have lore that you want to share with us, if you've got ghost stories that you want us to talk about in Loris Obscurus, you've got weird experiences in the cryptid world that you want to talk about, or just questions either about this episode or anything else that we've done in the past, Go ahead and email us at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. 
join and get involved with our community over on Discord. We have channels for hobby progress, official lore, homebrew lore, tactics in Warhammer 40k, as well as general hobby and video game channels. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We have a link tree set up for you guys in the meantime as we are building our website. You can also help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and many, many more. Want to get more involved and help us a little bit more directly? You can find us at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to video podcasts that have minimal editing and we release them a day early. So you can see our beautiful places as you hear all of our amazing blunders. Also, you get access to our quarterly painting contest as well as some art assets and some other goodies that we drop. When that red squig... Oh, yeah. Uh, We are also trying to do a couple of giveaways a year, and we're going to try to release this role-playing stuff there. So I really, really suggest you go check it out. All of that money goes right back into making the podcast just a little bit more better. Just a little bit more better. Mo better. Mo better. Mo better. Well, Marky, I have to tell you, I haven't heard from or seen Kevin Beast in quite a minute, but I have been hearing some weird whispering, and it all seems to be coming from that locked janitorial closet. I don't think that's raspberry jam. No, it might be a couple forum dempers uh, smelling what I just left in the corner over there. Oh, good. Oh, good. I was worried that it was like a river of ectoplasm or something. I I almost think I would prefer that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you have a point there yeah. river of ectoplasm hungry forearmed emperor i don't know remember when you find yourself in an abandoned sanitarium looking at a painting of vigo the carpathian don't trust the forearmed emperor that's hiding in the painting it's real that's not a painting fucking run motherfucker